G'day listeners, this episode is proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, subshq.com.au. Use code BENS15 at checkout to receive 15% off on your next purchase. G'day listeners, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Matter Mentality podcast where we talk everything nutrition, psychology, performance training, try to help you be your best. I am joined by a very special guest, uh, the first guest actually on this edition of the podcast, uh, a very, I want to say successful, but someone that I think I have a lot more to do with uh, philosophically and mentally that I will let introduce himself because the list is too extensive for me to try and put into, into context, but we are joined by Coach Cav. How are you doing, sir? Thank you for jumping on and, uh, and, and joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor and I'm looking forward to it. And I, I hope your audience basically thinks the same thing that I think about you guys, where it's like, oh, that's the guy with the funny accent, you know, but we don't, we don't get to say that much. So I'll, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm sure it's going to be a great talk. I think I'm going to get ton, tons out of it too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it was actually funny. Brooklyn was saying um, when, when we were confirming dates, you were sending through audio uh, audio snippets on, on Instagram, like you were sending through audio. Because obviously you're so busy, like, you know, on the go. And it was like, we're so used to talking to Aussies and stuff and like our Aussie uh, guests or athletes or what have you. And then like, your strong American accent comes through on the audio. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like this guy. It's going to come through. It's going to be great. There's such contrast. My, my wife speaks seven languages and she's like, I can, people can barely understand your English. So I'm like, good God. All right, I'll figure it out. It's all right. <laughs> seven languages. That's impressive. Um, I guess, mate, like, let's just get straight into it. Introduce yourself. Tell us about what you do. I know, you know, we've got the Athlete HQ. We've got the Sport and Speed Team Institute. Like there's so much to talk about, but I guess like the easiest way to do it is to let you open it up. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that's interesting as you get started because your audience is people that are actual, you know, practically, you know, looking at their life and saying, I want to get better at something. I want to have high performance in, in, in my body composition, my lifestyle, my nutrition, my mental, you know, kind of approach to what I'm doing. Or you have coaches that you actually have, you know, that that want to learn from you as well. So you have this wide range of audience. So it's important that you guys understand, like from my standpoint, the reason why I have my background is I've been coaching for 20 years, mm -hmm. whereas this industry kind of expands and then it gets hard or something happens and then it kind of contracts a little bit Yeah. or the industry expands because it gets good and lucrative and people start to like it and it gets fun and then it gets hard. And then it contracts again. So yeah. while it's contracting over the years, I have been on the front end of that, right? So, and then it, it bumped out a bit, right? It expanded and then I became able to have that kind of launch with it. And then when it contracted again, I stayed in it and I kept going. So that's the one of the reasons why I've had a lot of success is that I've put my head down and I've worked every single day for 20 plus years. Rewinding the tape. I'm born and raised in Miami. I was a five-sport athlete. You know, in 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 the United States, sports is more of a um, an identity, right? So people identify themselves by what they do and how they operate. Especially parents, they live a lot vicariously through their kids. I was very fortunate enough to have both parents that said, you know you know, you are going to be your own man. You are going to figure some stuff out. You are going to be in an environment that is going to be competitive, hard, and you are going to learn to work through it. So what happened was, is I have an older brother, three years older than me, highly successful, very competitive athlete as well. But when I, I had that as, as a, as a, as a, a mentor in front of me, right. Someone older than me to kind of like watch. Right. Yep. And 
I started to get better. And when I would go back into those same environments, my dad would then move me. He'd put me into a different organization, right? And I'm like, what the heck, right? Like, I want to be in that environment. But the minute I started either dominating, he would take me out and put me in an environment where I had to kind of climb myself out of the pack. Mm-hmm. And that kind of laid the groundwork for understanding how environment is everything. And then the environment will always win, right? So if you put people in an average environment, yeah. even if they are above average, they're going to go down, Yeah. right? They're going to take a guy who's a nine and he's going to drop down to a seven if everybody in that room's a five, right? But if you take a seven and everyone in there's a 10, he's going to bump up to an eight. Even if he doesn't have the competencies and the work ethic and everything else, he'll either leave quickly, he'll bounce, or he'll level up. And environment always wins. So if you could create an environment to where people or yourself will be successful, no matter what it is that you venture into, you're going to have success. And the fact that I played five different sports, the fact that I, you know, was a highly competitive athlete myself allowed me the opportunity to when I got forced into coaching to understand things from their perspective and say, okay, I need to put my athletes in the best environment, which means me as a coach, I had to go to the best environments to learn. So I had to become very, very quickly the ultimate like bullshit meter and filtering mechanism because I could not afford to learn from bad people. Yes. So I had to go really, really quickly to like the author of the book. I didn't want to listen to someone's opinions of something that never of it. And and that unfortunately we get so we get today it's so easy to show up as an expert, right? I mean, oh, yeah. trust me, if I look if I looked as good as you do with your shirt off, I would probably walk around half naked all the time, right? <laughs> you know, you got a full set of hair, you got a six pack whenever you want, right? For me, I got to do everything perfect in order to look halfway decent. But the one of the benefit is is I have zero body dysmorphia, and I know for a fact that. <laughs> That's my body's an engine. That's what I, I got to, I, whatever my, whatever I want my body to do, it's going to do. Yeah. Um, and um, I have understood that performance matters, right? Environment is what controls like kind of how you show up every day and, and, and it almost takes away from your energy. So it's a very, very important that you kind of manage the water inside the fish tank, right? So it's like the fish are not sick. The water is dirty. Yes. So whenever you start looking at it and go, okay, that's a bad fish. That's that didn't work. Well, you know what? Maybe the environment is not suited for what you're trying to accomplish. And for me as a high performance uh, mentality, I had to always kind of challenge myself, but I always had to hold things to different standards. And with that becomes a level of accountability, not just from your clients, but also from your peers. Yes. And you have to kind of accept that, right? You have to accept that sometimes you're not going to, you're not going to always win. And you're not going to always have those environments that are perfect. And you're going to have to learn to step up or own up to something that you don't do that uh, so well. So, you know, after college, fast track into, you know, I got hurt that changed kind of the scope of my personal trajectory. I thought I was going to play college football, go to the NFL, make millions of dollars, become freaking Iron Man and a philanthropist and give back to the world. That's what I thought was going to happen. Right. God had different plans for me. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, got a different plans. I, you know, I got hurt and it fast tracked my coaching. Mm-hmm. Now I got into coaching because one of my athletes who was a friend of mine yep. trusted. He's like, Hey, I trust. You. And that basically meant that he said, Hey, I'm going to take my athletic career and put it in your hands. And I basically, I'm holding on to this saying, Hey, number one, don't screw it up. Yeah. That's the rule. Number one, don't screw it up. So I had to kind of search and find the people that I was going to learn from so that I could go apply that right away. Mm -hmm. 
and got lucky, right? Every single time luck has a lot to do with your success. If you back it up with some hard work, right? And you'll get luckier the more that you're always in an opportunity to, to yeah, kind of receive, say, yeah. to receive the outcome of whatever game you're playing. And I'm always in a position to, to receive. I mean, one of the lessons I learned from my brother, he loves fishing. And we're done for the day. So we pull we we pull up our rods, get that hook in the boat, and then we, we get going. And he would literally troll with the with the hook in the water. He would always have a, a, a line in the water at all times. He goes, Hey, it's gonna be really hard to catch something if your line's in the boat. Always have a hook in the water. And as as a coach, that's such a valuable lesson, right? If you think about it, it's like, hey, always be in an opportunity where you could get a win. Yeah. And I think so many times we don't even get no's because we don't even give us a chance an opportunity to get a yes. Yeah. So what would happen if we always had a hook in the water? And um, that's one of the things that I learned is I've always asked, I've been okay being wrong very, very quick. Mm -hmm. I, like the faster I'm wrong, the more I learn. I completely agree by that. I've heard Elon talk about it. I've talked about, I've seen numerous coaches talk about it. The faster you can fail, I've seen business coaches talk about it. The faster you can fail, if you have a growth mindset and growth perspective is that it's a chance to learn and improve and implement the faster, the faster you can implement corrections to mistakes, the faster you can progress. And that way you're able to learn on the go and basically just redirect and readjust or recorrect the course, if you will, and implement what you learned from the failure. Then it doesn't become a failure. It just becomes an opportunity to be better. And, and if you could, if you could, if you're doing this stuff every single day, right? The failure that you're speaking of, no one ever is going to see. Yeah. Because it's actually going to be in the preparation. Yeah. So that means that when it's on the line, right? When you have skin in the game and you're actually on the line and you're ready to go and everyone's watching you, you're more prepared than everyone else. Mm -hmm. I think that's the separator in sport and that's the separator in competition is that I'm willing to put myself you know, to a test when no one else is watching yeah. so that when I step on the line, I have confidence in what my body could do. And that's what I did for my athletes every single day. So, you know, constantly doing that um, over the years, you know, got really well known for speed primarily because um, it's really easy. You go to the Olympics, you win a hundred, you win a medal in the hundred meters. People say, Oh, you know, a thing or two about speed, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Nowadays, Nowadays, if you throw a cool drill on Instagram and you tell everybody that you know somebody or you took a picture with somebody one day, all of a sudden you're the best speed coach. It's the same thing <laughs> if you have a six pack, you're the best body body comp prep person, right? <laughs> yeah. But what happens is, is here's an interesting thing. We all say that the truth is high performers will seek you out. They will, they will filter through BS just as much as you and I have filtered through high level of education to yeah. figure out what's the right content for us. They do the same thing. Yeah. So over the years, what happened is, is people started showing up at my doorstep after I put thousands of kids into college through sports, after I put hundreds of guys into the professional ranks, after I've been to a few Olympics and had a lot of success, people just started showing up. So the athletes that I was playing the game with, I was having, I was basically playing poker with, with, with pocket aces every single day. And you don't win all of those hands, but you imagine what happens if you play the game with such a better such a better hand than everybody else. Yeah. So I automatically was able to test things. And when I was able to test things with these super high level athletes, you realize research is crap yeah. because nobody is doing research on the fastest athletes in the world yeah. because there's only one of them. There's yeah. only a handful of guys that run sub 10. There's only a handful of guys that could jump through the roof that could dunk a basketball and do all of these yeah. things every single day. You can't, at, you can't at a high level. That. You can't sample size so, that. Like 
I started to realize like, Hey, all of this stuff. Yeah. There's some foundations that are true. Yeah. But the reality of it is, is that no one is doing it practically at a high level across multiple different sports because the people at the top in those sports, they're the one percenters. Yes. So that's what separated me from everybody else. And one of the things that allowed me to do that is having great mentors in my life to say, Hey, get back in your lane, go do this. Here's what you need to do. I was, and I still am. I mean, I'm on a call probably twice a week with people all over the world to say, Hey, in kind of my portfolio of athletes that I have right now that represents my brand or people that don't even know I work with that I happen to be kind of in charge of and guiding their process. Mm -hmm. I ask the people that I trust the most, where are you? Like, where, you know, where are you in that problem? What do you think I'm missing? Yeah. Do everything you can to poke holes in my game. And when people care about you, your mentors will pour into you. So I've been very fortunate to have people kind of literally just fast track me in my, my, my life uh, for that. And that basically put me in the position that I'm in today. And that's what gives me these opportunities on a constant basis. Oh, I love that. I love that. You, you, you're basically, <laughs> you're basically describing like if we were to go like step for step lifetime, like timelines, you're basically describing me which is like the, I guess, almost the profound and scary part about us connecting and chatting is like, I, I went through such a similar process where I thought I was going to play, you know, at least contracted rugby league over here, try and go pro, at least semi-pro to get to that level where it was like, right, kind of like our version of collegiate over here, where it's like that just before sure. pro status. Yeah, like um, academy and all that stuff. Exactly right. Chase those contracts. Like this is what I do for life now. Car accident happens, damages my lower spine, basically takes away all my movement patterns, all my exercise, all my strength. And like, all right, you can't do your job, your career, your sport, your hobby, nothing, you're gone. And then, you know, fast track that later, I'm now into bodybuilding, I'm into coaching people, I'm into taking what I learned for myself and and sort of seeing the, the competitive mindset and mentality that I took to my rehabilitation. Okay, well, how do I give that to people in their everyday life? You shouldn't need extreme trauma to find that talent or that skill. Let's try and figure it out. So yeah, it's definitely interesting how, how similar your story is obviously just a lot further advanced. Um, but, but such a, uh, such a similarity for us being literally at other ends of the pond. Um, well, I would like to know where in that story, did you lose your hair? Cause I did. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to understand. What I think, Don't I think, uh, like bodybuilding hasn't quite taken it yet from me. It's, um, it's probably in, in the near future going by my old man's hairline. <laughs> Um, you, you know, you brought up a good point. You talked about trauma, right? And trauma fast tracks you, right? Trauma, competitive sports, you know, tough life circumstances. Oh, yeah. Um, they teach you some lessons that, you know, a lot of times are very good experiences for you mm -hmm. to grow. And it matures you so much faster. They make those in themselves, right? However, one of the problems with trauma is it matures you faster when you are not ready to handle that situation. Yeah. So you bury it for a long time and it normally comes back up in another way as you get older. Yeah. So as much as I was uh, very mature for my age, as much as I was an old soul, as much as I um, understood that I had to, you know, my name was out there and I was in front of a camera as a high performance athlete, you're going to be in, you know, in the spotlight. What also you're doing is, is that's kind of your, your piece, right? Your, your being in the spotlight becomes your flow state. It becomes your peak state because it's actually where all of your worries go away. Yeah. Yeah. But then in the other areas of your life, some other shit starts to come up and that's what happens. So we bury that trauma and we don't ever deal with it and we use it as fuel. The problem is, is it is still burning. 
yeah. and we have to address it. And I don't think a lot of times we ever address it. And then it uncovers itself, unfortunately, in a pretty ugly way. So it's our job, not just as, as, as coaches, um, but, but athletes ourselves to actually work on us because sometimes we work on that through our, our athletes. Sometimes we, you know, we use it, it becomes a vice within some of the work that we do, right. It's probably why we pour ourselves so much into our work. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think that it's critical. Yeah, it is. It's critical for us to actually deal with it because it does show itself up in different ways. I think um, re- reading, reading a bit more about, you know, where, where you guys are and how you, your philosophy around coaching, you are very invested and it's something that we do here as well and that I try to emulate um, is being more invested in your clients. Like you have a very personal, like I see in your philosophy and the way you describe it is we build our coaching system on trust and mutual relationship. Like we're in it with them, where they're trying to be with them, almost like a family. Like it's a very similar premise to what we try to build here with our community, our family aspect to our clients is that you're not just someone paying me money. You're not just here to turn up. Like I want to make sure uh, I, I, something I wrote the other day was that if there is no uh, life progression, then anywhere where there's physique progression is short-lived because life has to be successful around it. Otherwise, just as fast as you gain your, your physique, if you will, it can be very easily taken away because the rest of it goes to shit. Um, and it kind of seems like that's a very similar premise for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a your spot on there. One of the things that's really interesting um, you know, with that is you could you you could get really advanced in one area of your life, but be very you know, immature in elementary in another area of your life. Yeah. Where you get value is when you compound your experience in an area that you become really advanced as you create leverage into the new area that you're going into. Because you are starting from a kind of blank slate in the new venture or the new area of your life or the new uh, area of study. So Mm -hmm. where you don't have that expertise, but you know the process to get to the top. Yeah. So that's half the battle. So if you could take that same process and fast track it in another era, now all of a sudden, instead of kind of a linear approach, it's a compounding approach. Mm-hmm. This is why this is why emotion is so important in coaching. Yeah. Because a logical way of thinking is a very linear way of process, right? And progress. Mm-hmm. But a emotional way of approaching stuff is a way to compound the effort. Mm-hmm. And most people tell you, hey, take your emotion out of it. Yeah. I tell people all the time, you're an athlete of mine, bring your ego because it's going to get checked with a bunch of other guys. It's not going to get checked by me. Yeah, It's yeah. going to get checked by the fact that you're walking in a room with a bunch of other dudes. What's going to happen then? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to either, you know, that ego is either going to help you survive or thrive, or it's going to sort of like, you know, do you dirty and you're going to fall down. Right. Um, but yeah. It's so like, I have a very similar premise to how I approach like when I onboard clients, whether they're, you know, we've got uh, guys now that are going to the Australian defense force. So like your, your version of Top Gun, like they're working into being like our fast jet fighter pilot program. Um, we've got guys that are getting acting, like just different things that aren't just about their physique. So the way that I approach it is I like to make sure that when we're onboarding, we're starting, like, why do you want to work with me? I want to know in broken down like levers almost or systems, not only what is your physique outcome, but what is your personal or business goals as well? What's your career goals? Where do you want to be in five years? And I'll map it out with them. Three months, six months, 12 months, uh, three years, five years. How's it going to look, feel, sound, smell? Like, what is it going to be like? I can tell you to a T what it's going to look like when I win my pro card in my bodybuilding career. And I can tell you the people will be in the audience, the smells, the sounds, whether it happens or not is irrelevant, but I can tell you that it's going to based on this. And I map that same premise with them is, you know, whether you want to lose 10 kilos and improve lifestyle or whether you want to be a, a top tier bodybuilder or an elite athlete, 
the rest of your life, I want to know where you want that to go as well. Because you can isolate your pro sport. That's great. But we don't exist in a vacuum. You've got to have relationships, friendships, family. You've got to have careers or businesses. If you don't go pro, do we have finances elsewhere to make sure that you're succeeding? How are we handling your mental stress, your mental traumas? Like, what are you doing to escape? Uh, not escape. If you're, what are you doing to, to deal with the anxieties and pressures? Are you, do you have downtimes? Do you have, you know, personal interests that you might find exciting? Do you read? Do you comic book? Do you movies? What else in your life are we optimizing so that when it comes to your actual, you know, physique goal or your performance goal, it's all supporting it rather than pulling it down. So I find if you, if you have that one big goal, that's great. And I'm all for monstrous goals as I no doubt you are. But if the rest of it isn't supporting it, it can anchor it. And you almost become, it almost becomes detrimental if the rest of your life isn't supporting the big dream. You know, if you're not putting some effort or time into shaping that, it's going to anchor you to where you are and not allow you to progress, right? Absolutely. I mean, you brought up a, a, a point around like you saw who was in the crowd. You knew what it would feel like. You could, you understood the environment and you, and you, you understood what it would smell like. Like you have <laughs> yeah. taken all of your senses into consideration for your future goals. When you visualize something, mm -hmm. there is no difference between what you see in your brains and your mind's eye when you actually think and process it to what your body's actually doing. You know, there is, there is no difference in the reality of that, right? Your brain can't separate the difference. So it's your job to start visualizing positive thoughts, right? Most people are very um, self-destructing, right? They're very, once they get to a top, they then self-destruct. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of people that, that um, they're self-deprecating. They talk crap about oh, yeah. each other. I do that. I joke around about myself a little bit, yeah. but when it gets down to like the serious part of their day, right? The reason why a lot of people don't have the confidence is because they talk so much crap about themselves that their body in their brain is hearing it. 100%. It's yeah. being in brain. So if you talk like that to someone else on the street, the way you talk to yourself, you'd probably end up in some fights. Yeah. Right? I get knocked out for sure. So why aren't you telling yourselves yeah. what you need to hear? Yeah. Right. And if you could, like, why don't you just control that voice? Mm -hmm. If you could control that voice, you become your own coach. Yeah. And when you become your own coach, you now, you now become the best student yeah. because you now understand, oh, this is who I need to be as an athlete. So that now when I hire you as a coach, I now surrender all of my ego to you mm -hmm. and let you guide the process. And that's where you have high performance. So visualization is critical. I saw that in your, and in your, when you're looking at your three pillars and you have mind, body, spirit, just how important you find narrative identity and visualization. Yeah. Because so when you look at kind of my philosophy of an athlete centric model, right? It's mind, mm -hmm. body, spirit. When athletes first come to me because they want to achieve something physically that they haven't had the result in their previous life and whatever reason why. Yep. But at the end of the day, right, the fastest way to get a physical change is through their their, their mindset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I'm going to build buy-in by making the physical change, but I need to get them to mentally, like, believe it. I got to get them to shift wherever they are, going from, you know, whatever they think is their version of success to what my standard of operating is. Yeah. Right? So- we call it the mic, right? In order to, you know, where we kind of change the mind is 
through the mic. So it's like, what's that microphone that you're sharing to the world? How do you show up? Right. Because we talk about like your battles, right. Every single time, every day that you go into, there's a battle of self-awareness. There's a battle of, you know, uh, social awareness and there's a battle of situational awareness, right? Mm -hmm. How do I show up? How do I act? How do I handle different dynamics? Right. So I say that because that's your voice. That's how you show up to the world, right? So your mic is it stands for mastery. I believe in order to develop the mind and change it, you have to master something mm -hmm. because a, a five-year-old knows if they're good at something or not. Mm -hmm. They just won't do the thing that is hard, which is actually learning. Yes. What is easy is acquiring knowledge. What is, is acquiring information. What is hard is learning. The actual act of learning is when something becomes difficult. It's taking an unknown to a known and connecting the dots. 100%. But acquiring information is just taking something and you understand it. It's like, okay, cool. I got it. Like, yeah, there's no, like, there's no actual uh, resistance to that absorption of that knowledge. So you have to develop mastery because if you don't develop mastery, now all of a sudden your perspectives are off, right? You have no self-awareness. You think mm -hmm. that you're good, but you've never put it on the line. So you think you're better yeah, than yeah, what yeah. you are, right? So one of the benefits of like um, bodybuilding is like, there's nowhere to hide, right? Like there's the concept, there's nowhere 100%. to hide. I work with sometimes and like, there's nowhere to hide, right? Um, same exact thing. Like that's on you. Ain't no, yeah. I can't jump in there with you and help exactly. you. Right? That, that, that works done. Right. There's no, like, there's no light bulb that's going to be off that day. That's going to give you a better angle. No. Right. I promise you those lights are going to be bright and everyone's going to look. So mastery builds a foundation of awareness. It tells you, I know what I'm good at. I know where I'm going to stay. I know where I'm going to grow. The second thing is image, right? And that stands for self-image, right? It becomes basically a reflection of how I feel about myself. And then the last one is confidence is one is how I view myself. Confidence is how I feel other people view me. Yep. So if you tell me, you know, hey, you know, you know, you suck and I don't have a good image of myself, I'm going to work backwards. And all of a sudden your vert, your statement to me is going to be tested based upon my own self-image. Yeah. My self-image is going to be tested by my skill, competency, and mastery of whatever it is that I'm trying to develop. So we have to work in changing the athlete's mindset first so that we could actually work on the body which is really simple, right? It's just train, fuel, recover. Yeah. Now, yeah. the components of physical preparation, the components of how we get there are, are completely individualized based upon a goal. But the act of taking an athlete through the process and a journey is about understanding that you have to have a mindset shift when you come in through the door and, how you, and then how you leave. And as a coach, it's your job yeah. to change the state of your athlete yep. every single time they show up. It would be really nice if someone walked through your doors every single time and every single session with just the the state and readiness with an attitude yeah. to learn and to grow and to say, I know where I'm weak, coach. I know I need you to push me here today. Yeah. I'm ready. Bring it. Like no one ever does that. Nope. They want to hide and shy away from the hardest areas and the darkest areas of their life, the hardest areas of their physical prep and the darkest areas of their deep emotional threats. And your job to like dig deep, reach down in there, pull it out, but then kind of like hug them and protect them once it's out of the bag. Yeah. Right. And say, okay, we're going to work on this shit.
And that's how you develop high performance is that you're willing to go deep. I don't do superficial well. That's one of the difficulties with a lot of people. It's like you could be friends with a lot of people if you just do superficial well because everybody will like you. Yeah. I'm okay pissing people off because that's my filtering mechanism of who I'm going to spend time with. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And that's how I basically evaluate the work that I do and who I'm willing to put time into as well. And I find it, I find it, Justin, just what you're describing there. So it's so funny because I I can see, like, I'm not sure where you're sort of studying besides like, you know, obviously the things you have studied, but also like you're who you're mentor with, but you're literally describing to a T things like social narrative theory, uh, social identity theories. You're describing things like um, how we look at uh, self-fulfilling prophecies and narrative creation. I literally just did a presentation on this for an all female fitness expo about how women identify themselves in sport and, and looking at the fact that, you know, we're so, especially as you're describing there, when we look at the general self-concept, we look at uh, the way we value ourselves, where we put our values and our body image or our, our physical ethics, and our physical abilities. If we don't put that value in there ourselves, we don't put that there through, um, you know, proving our competence or through proving our ability to then remind ourselves that we are comp- capable and competent to do it. The second that someone has an opinion and we haven't developed that identity or that, that narrative of ourselves yet, we take that on board, right? Like, like, you know, you think back to early days, I know myself, like my father was my biggest critic, but I recognize it now as his sense of nurturing and, and growing me was that rather than blowing smoke up my ass because I scored a try, he was like, okay, but you threw the shit pass or you did a bad kick or you missed this tackle. So where everyone else is saying, yeah, pat on the back, great job. I'm like, oh fuck, you know, dad's disappointed or let me down. That sort of ability then to recognize that I'm, I'm seeing that hey, I'm competent at being good, but I'm also humble enough to be like, I'm being grounded. I'm being like taught to look at the situation and, and fix what I sucked at. When we have these people, I guess, that come in with the, you know, uh, either not good enough self-concept or they're too full of themselves. Either way, that narrative gets checked very quickly when they're put in those situations. It's like, there's no one here blowing smoke anymore, but also, you know, you need to raise my standards. So if you're coming in without the right mental perspective, the right, the right, I guess, identity, a story that you're telling, we need to shift that. We need you to walk out of here saying, I am capable to do this. I'm going to change what I need to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this life. One of my most successful stories was having someone who came to me for a physique prep, walked away recognizing that our main goal, that his main goal was to join the defense force in the air fighter pilot program. We shifted that entirely just by like, I'm like, tell me your story. Tell me the story you want the world to understand. What is it that you're trying to take and say to people? Like if I were to, if you were to introduce yourself to a room, what is the story that you want to be said at that introduction? And it's not, I can tell that it wasn't physique preparation or bodybuilding. It was like, you know, that'd be cool to do. But like at the, at the crux of it, what is it that you want said? What do you want to say about yourself or what do you want to build? And he's like, this, this, and this. And it, we literally just shifted his entire training from there and life just skyrocketed. I was like, you're basing it based on the narrative or story that other people are telling for you, which was, you know, bodybuilding. I've got to be shredded. I've got to do this. And I'm like, when we redirect that and ask what you wanted, it literally just took off. He's like, I want to give everything I can to doing this and excel. And I want to take flights around the world. I want to fly. I want to deploy. I'm like, okay, cool. That's your thing now. That's that's the story we're telling. And then life just took off once he identified it. That that narrative or that 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 image you're talking about, it just created a whole different life for him on a different trajectory because we actually got to the depth of, okay, you told me you wanted to bodybuild, but what do you actually want? And we get to that that bottom of it. We start telling now, like it's almost like we we give them permission as coaches to say, you're allowed to tell me what you want to do. You're allowed to say what you want in life, but then we're going to put a plan in place to execute it. I'm not working with people that just want to tell a story of, you know, oh, I want to do this one day. Like you tell me you want to do it. You'd say that this is what you really want in life. 
we make a plan and execute. And it's like you're giving them I, that freedom. Yeah, I do not do well with people that don't know what they want. So I would be yeah. a very bad exploratory coach, right? Yeah. So someone who's basically saying, let's go through this process and figure out what you want to become. Yeah. You're not going to like the experience because yeah. for me, and I have plenty of people that are in my life like this, and it is very hard on me because I know that I'm causing more, more, more problems and more harm than good. Because I'm like, look, like figure your shit out already. Like, what do you yeah. mean you need to take time? I'm like the worst statement for me is like, I'm still working on it. What do you mean you're working on it? You're either doing it or you're not. And I'm just, it's very <laughs> yeah. hard for me. Right. So like, I tell people like in this environment, it is the one place where you are going to be rewarded if you are selfish. Mm -hmm. The more selfish you are, the better you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Because this is the world where it is about you and you get a complete, like whatever you put into it, that will be the output. Your yeah. effort, your, your strategy, that work that's put in will be directly correlated to your output, right? Like you can't cheat basically a bench. You can't cheat, you know, you know, the kitchen, you can't cheat those things. Now, yeah. genetically, you might have someone that could do a little bit faster, but when it, when it comes down to being on the line, your confidence comes from knowing that I made sure every stone was left unturned in my preparation. And because I know that I basically put it all on the line and I did everything in my power, I have the then confidence, right? Yes. You don't have the confidence if you know you cheated reps or you cut out on your conditioning. 100%. Or you didn't, you know, you could have done something different. Like you're always going to have a little insecurity, right? This is, a, it's, you talked about like image and difference between men and women. I'm going to give you a stereotype that's very unique and interesting from my perspective. So out of all the women in the world, you ever wonder which ones are the most confident? Go on. In your experience. The ones it's always the ones that are happy. Fat women are way more confident than that's skinny fair. women. That is very fair. And you know why? Cause they have really good self-awareness. They know that they're a little heavy and yeah. they figured out how to be okay with who they are. Yeah. But skinny women have always had people judge them based upon their bodies. Yeah. So they actually don't know if they gain weight or they lose weight. They have a strong disassociate with themselves. Yeah. Whereas women that are a little bit heavier tend to have way better self-awareness, which means better personality, more honest with you, more direct with you, better attitudes, right? Don't take shit from guys. That's and then all of a sudden you have a girl that's younger when she was, you know, maybe when she was in an environment that didn't suit her when whatever. And then when she gets older and starts taking care of herself, she's gorgeous. That doesn't mean she's not pretty. That doesn't mean she's not attractive. It just means she was a little heavier set in a different area of her life. Mm -hmm. Goodness gracious. I was much better looking when I was younger, right? <laughs> I was a lot smaller um, when I was younger. So, yeah, you know, so it's like, you know, like we judge people by these like small areas of where people are in their life, but it's just a fraction of actually their real journey. I still identify as a very strong, powerful, and explosive person. I'm not because mm -hmm. I'm very, very far removed from the athlete that was 235 pounds that could jump 39 inches and was super fast. Mm -hmm. I am very far removed from that athlete. Yeah, yeah. I was the athlete that coaches love to like beat in the dirt because I was not going to quit and I was in great shape. Now I have to like cheat my my water break. Now I'm going to basically, how do we extend this round out a little bit? This <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So, 
you know, you, you, I, you understand that, that, but I am in my head, I, I still think of myself that way. Right. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up in a football environment where most people, my clients, even, you know, themselves will get, I'll get a picture back where I happen to be with a number of my clients that I'm with or athletes that I'm around. And I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't even like, I'll even like not even recognize myself. I'm like, Oh, that, that was me. Cause I'm like the little guy. Yeah. I'm tiny. Yeah. I'm 240 pounds right now. Probably 250 to be honest with you, which is pretty bad. But um, <laughs> but I'm tiny compared to an offensive lineman that's six four, three thirty. Yeah, you know, oh, I yeah, have a tight end yeah. that I was working with, you know, yesterday. He's six nine. I look like a midget next to him. That's a big you know one. I mean? But I don't ever feel like I'm small because I, I I'm always in that environment, right? Yeah. So. People that are have very good awareness, they become comfortable in the in, in those environments, they become comfortable in their skin, and then they can start applying that in so many other areas of their life. And then as they mature, that's based upon those foundation, yeah. you know, the foundation of emotion, right? So they then take a little bit more of a conscious effort to probably take care of their health. It's just what happens. So these are just little things that you pick up and, and I don't know the study and I can't recite the book where it comes from. And I don't know the philosopher that created the concepts, but if you have life experiences, you're going to start to create pattern recognition to figure out kind of where you want to be. And for me, every time I start to see a pattern of what someone then does, I try to either protect myself from the next data point of the batter, or I want to put myself into that data point of the pattern. That's it. And it's just depending on kind of where you, you know, what you're trying to achieve. It's funny. It's funny you put it that way in regards to like, you know, the studies and the data. I literally just put up a post not too long ago uh, regarding kind of the way that the, the fitness industry or the, the coaching industry attacks like the elite end of the spectrum, right? Like, you know, these guys we know that just absolutely abuse themselves, nothing but grunt cast hard work ethic to get where they are. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's not optimal way to do it. And so it's kind of like the, the, the community will just dismiss them. Like, you know, there's nothing to teach us. They're idiots. Like they're, they're just meatheads. And it's like, hold the phone here. We've got, you know, it's hard to get data. You know, the absence of data doesn't present the absence of evidence. You've got people in the trenches doing this shit that we can pull back from and learn from. And it's one of the first pieces of blogs, uh, articles that I wrote was how I like to look at the likes of, you know, Jordan, Kobe, uh, Tiger Woods, Musk, all these elite people. And it's like, you know, we don't have to have the data on them. They didn't know the data concepts back then or the points or the topics to say, oh, this is the principle I'm applying. They just did certain things and it worked. How are we dismissing entire populations of elite success to say, oh, well, you know, it's not in the book, so it doesn't count. Like there is something to be said for anecdotal experience and application that they figured it out. There's something we don't know. They've got a skill set that we could learn from or implement in our life. It's like how, instead of looking at these guys and saying, oh, you know, I, they're, they're too far out of the spectrum, like dismiss them. I'd rather look at it and say, how do I be more like them? What can I take from them to implement into my life to make it better? Whether I want to be an, an athlete or whether I want to be a CEO or a business owner, whether I want to be better at my studies, how do I be more like these guys to succeed or at least plant the tools that I can succeed, right? Like it's such a weird thing in fitness where we just look at a pro bodybuilder or a pro basketball or an NFL player and go, oh, that's an outlier. Don't, don't, they don't represent the general population. No, you're right. They're the outliers. Let's see how they got there. They didn't have well, the data. Don't you want to be an outlier? Exactly, right? Like why like, do you want to be the herd? Like, yeah, I mean, isn't the reason why you, you are striving to towards greatness is so that you could become great? Like that, isn't that the point? Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, br you bring up an interesting point. And one of them is that like, everyone thinks that early specialization is the key, 
But if you look at like, you know, I think it was an esteem's book on range, which was talking about basically athletes that did early specialization had success. And then athletes that played a lot of sports then all had success. We can skew the data whichever way we want if we only look at the people at the top. Yep. But one of the things that they all have in common, right, is the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what, they have, they have a high level of attention to detail. They have a, a, a there's a strong competitive nature, mm-hmm. right? And they have basically a willpower yes. that, that's going to persevere past their obstacles. So whenever it gets hard, they go deeper. That's one of the that's one of the the unique skills of a high performers. Whenever it gets hard, they don't shy away. They go deeper into it. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people, the close the the minute it gets hard, they quit. Or the closer they get to the top, they quit. Yeah. And they will start to self sabotage. So it's how do you protect an athlete from that? What can you do in those environments? Um, you. One of the things you talked about too is like bodybuilders and not being able to take things away from like you know, certain people that have, you know, high, you know, great genetics, which genetics play a huge role in sport and play a huge role 100%. in competition. They play a huge role in business. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the person who's smarter, the person who's taller, the person who's, you know, was born into a family that has connections that could introduce them to the right people. These are all factors. The world's not fair. Get over it. Yep. Right. But you're unique in the environment where there's something in your life that's unfair for you in a good yes. way, and you better take yes. advantage of it. And if you yes. don't want to take advantage of it, then you're just going to cry and be victim, and you're going to be left with basically holding the bag of shit. That's okay. your choice, right? So what can we take away from the people that are successful? You look at certain sports, bodybuilding is the ultimate case study. There's two sports that I would say are the most disciplined athletes. Bodybuilders, which I'm not a bodybuilder, never been a bodybuilder, but I've seen it. And wrestlers, which I was a wrestler. And in our own ways, we are the most like disciplined people when we need to be. Yeah. When oh, yeah. we are off, we are the most off. Yep. Right. Um, so it's very, very interesting when you see those two different disciplines, right, of sport completely opposite for each other. One's performance only. You don't care what you look like. Matter of fact, the wrestler doesn't look strong, doesn't look like he's in shape sometimes, right? But they're a dude. And then you have the guy who basically is all show, no go. But is that true? So here's an interesting thing. We say that, but is it true? And the reason why I say that is this. You're around bodybuilders. Are they not strong as shit? Oh, yeah. we Yeah. Yeah, peak phase. You guys are strong shit. But powerlifters don't think you guys are strong. Yeah. Yeah. I tell powerlifters all the time, you want to you 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 want to work on something in a completely unconventional way and get you significantly stronger than you've ever thought you've been, go work with a bodybuilder. Bodybuilder, go work with a powerlifter. And there's some things that you could learn. Because one of the benefits of bodybuilding is understanding like how do I hit things from a different angle to get development that is going to make me look a certain way right and you can start messing with people's like if they got a long torso if they have like i have a naturally broad shoulders i'm a big i have a big back guy right i'm a big neck guy like if i i mean i'm gonna naturally because of the way my body shape i'm gonna naturally look like i have small biceps yeah i have to like over index on my training on that so that i could kind of compensate in other areas correct right 
But if you have someone that's got like shorter arms and they look like they're going to have big biceps, well, then maybe you got to like over exaggerate or over program in certain areas of your body to make sure you hit different angles to create a certain shape or your poses have to be, you know, differently at, at slightly different angles in order to kind of get the, the kind of look that you want. Right. Um, but bodybuilder, I mean, and powerlifters are all about move the bar A to B, move the bar A to B. Right. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You're staying in the single plane of motion all the time for so long. Have you ever thought about hitting it from different angles so that yeah, you can start yeah. adapting to the other things and then go back to that and see what happens? No, that shit don't work. Well, have you ever tried it? Oh, no, those guys just look, they just look good. They're not that strong. Have you ever lifted with them? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So my, my brother, right. I, I give him a program one day and I, he wanted to do like what I was doing with the NFL combine guys. So it's a 225 rep test. Right. So it's like, you know, you, you, we start, we realize that you cap out at a max rep test within a certain amount of seconds. It's not yep. a certain amount of reps. Yep. So it's how fast can you rep that work in a certain amount of time? Cause you have a muscular fatigue, even if yep. it's under strength. Burns. So there's a window of fatigue and it's between that 30 to like 47 seconds window. That's about it, right? You maybe yep. have that 10, 15 second kind of buffer, depending on the athlete. We know the higher your maximal strength is, the more likely that you are to rep that out, even if you don't do a lot of strength endurance work. We know that. But I give my brother this program. He's doing 225. My brother loved bodybuilding. So he was pretty strong. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like, I didn't get into bodybuilding, right? Um, but he shows me a picture. He's like, Oh, my chest is effed up. What happened? Sends me a picture. He completely tore his pack. I mean, this thing was like over here. It is his entire chest is purple and red. I'm like, Oh, this is bad. I'm like, what were you doing? He's like, well, I did the 225 thing for a while, but then I got bored. That was just too easy. I got to so many numbers. I'm like, so I started just doing like 315 for 20. I'm like, 315 for 20. Do you realize <laughs> that you're just, he's like, I'm just trying to get back into training. I'm like, what are you doing? You realize how much strength, like how much load that is? And he's just like, yeah, but like, I could barely feel 225. I couldn't really feel my muscles at 225. I'm like, oh my God. But <laughs> again, you give that to a, you give that to any sport athlete. Yeah. And that is crazy amount of weight. So perspectives are completely different. And 100%. most people are not willing to get out of their element to learn. And that's really where I've been able to accelerate a lot of my education is just like get as uncomfortable as possible and then kind of go back to your environment, yeah. get as uncomfortable as possible and then go back to your environment. I think it's important too, to recognize in that you're, you're finding uncomfortable environments, but you're also creating that environment, right? Like, you know, to loop right back to the start where we started talking about environments, you're, you're creating environments where you can be uncomfortable. You're seeking it out. You're finding, you're putting yourself in those environments in general, where so many people don't want to do that, whether it be because, you know, their diet, their appearance, their, you know, they're scared of the ego being checked. They don't want to lose. They don't want to risk the chance of, of failing. And so they don't put themselves in these environments to grow, improve, get better, progress. And that's where the, I find in not only the research, but just anecdotally in my clients and myself, most of the growth occurs when you're willing to put yourself in those environments that are challenging, that are developing, that force you to reflect, look inwards at yourself, look at who else you're surrounding yourself by. Like it's so ironic how quickly we got to an environment in the chat 
because one of the first pieces of, of education I put out was our philosophy book on environmental psychology and how like we call it optimizing your environment for success because it was such an, when I was looking at, um, you know, even myself, I'm, I was a terrible student in high school. My main subjects were like histories, uh, sports and uh, like uh, manual work. Everything else I just had no interest in. My English teacher basically said I'm going to fail you. And so I took that as like spite and basically was like, all right, screw you. Um, when I got to uni, it wasn't so much that I was good at study. I also had to put myself in an environment that forced me to adapt and be better and find out where I sucked. So I had to look at ways that, okay, how did I, how do I study properly? How do I learn? How do I get better? Because at the moment I suck at studying. And that was no different to like, you know, stressing my muscles for bodybuilding. It was like, how do I put myself in that environment where I create stress that's going to force me to adapt and make me be better? And that was looking at the fact that I'm a very competitive person. I'm very driven and I'm very stubborn. Okay, so I need to pick out someone in the room that I'm going to be better at, that I can better than that study or I can be, I can basically do the class better than they did. Didn't, it makes no logical sense to the average person, but that's how I had to figure it out. But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't put myself in that environment, right? If I didn't seek that out and say, well, this is how I have to do it or to, in order to, to grow in this environment, this is what I have to do. And it's so, it's so interesting to me how much just being put in an environment makes such a difference. I've, I've said it for such a long time that, you know, if you have big dreams and you surround yourself with short-minded people or small-minded people, you're only you're, you're basically like we said at the start there you basically have a glass ceiling of where your thoughts can go you can't share massive dreams to small-minded people because they'll pull you back in and so what that that sort of like hot air balloon takeoff basically just gets flattened out and just popped and it's like all right come back down to earth take that same concept and put it around other you know ceos entrepreneurs athletes they'll just say yeah, that's normal like what's up with that like, that's that's nothing like that's go do it what's stopping you but if you're around those shitty like you know and i, I find it's probably you'd probably say it's pretty, pretty prominent in American culture as well. Like the high school friends that just stay friends forever. You know, they all go to the same parties and stuff like kick on for for however long. And there might be one or two in there, athletes you might've worked with that they've got the dream to go pro, succeed, take on that next step. But the environment they're in is just so anchored in high school and drama and bullshit and parties and drinking. It's like you're limiting or you're self-defeating just by simply being in such a poorly fostered environment that you're basically anchoring yourself to where you are and not creating that chance to grow. Put yourself into that environment where where growth is possible out of stress, out of development, out of pushing. And you will just, even if you don't win and you aren't the most successful, you will still be more successful than if you're in that environment that was just so limiting. So if you take that and you look at where kids are nowadays, they're on Discord, they're on games, they're on Twitch. They're even off social media. They're on another platform that is has a little different interconnected components, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know the largest, the largest chat communication app amongst kids in middle school and below is? Wouldn't have an idea. Uh, a, a a a Google Sheet or a Google Word document. I've heard about this. Yep. And all that, because it, number one, it's like they could do it in their school, right? Mm -hmm. And then they can delete it and there's no paper trail. Yep. Right. And then they know who's talking and who's jumping into a chat and there's multiple people that could be in there and they don't get any notifications. They're just seeing it happen. That's right. It. Yeah. So it's disconnected from the distraction. It's disconnected from the authority and it's disconnected from the risk of anything coming down from where their environments are kind of crazy. When you think about how smart younger kids are, we didn't figure that crap out. 100%. Right? Now you look at that and you go, okay, they're on these platforms. 
that's their social behavior. That's where they're engaging with people. That is their environment. Mm -hmm. So technically it's actually here in this box. Mm -hmm. And when you're in this kind of vacuum, and then the only voices you hear are the, the handful of people that are always agreeing with you at that age group. The echo chambers. And then you go to high school and then you go, or then you go from there to college. And then what happens is, is you have a friend group. Let's just say it's uh, three to five people, right? It rarely is more than that. Let's say yeah. it does get up to eight, but let's just say it's three to five people, group of guys, whatever it may be. They're all hanging out. Three or four of them, they're all basically, they don't have a job. They're, they're in college. They're doing their thing. All four guys, all right, or five guys, four of them are in college. One decides, hey, he wants to go to trade school. So he bounces out of the group because he actually can't communicate now with them in that channel. Mm -hmm. One drops out of college, but he's still in, or in that environment because he's not really working. You don't have a real full-time job. He's kind of bouncing in and out doing what he's saying. So then you have these other three that are in college, and then you have this one, right, that is still communicated with. So they're friends, and they're in that eco chamber for three, four years. Mm -hmm. What happens? Those three guys graduate. The fourth one that is in trade school, he's actually already in his job. He's in the union. He's doing something. Mm -hmm. And then that one that's just sitting there he don't have any friends anymore because guess what those other guys have a job and they don't have it he doesn't have a degree anymore mm -hmm. so if you're in that situation you've created that environment when you create a vacuum right you self-pollute it 100 the most the, the literally the most important thing of when you being in a vacuum is what are you outputting yeah because it's it's going to basically contaminate the environment so one of the things that I do that is a great kind of teaching tool is I like to shoot. If you've ever had a gun in your hand, I don't care how good you are at shooting. I don't care how often you've done it. You realize that this thing actually could do something. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you're going to be a little nervous. I don't care how good you are at it. You're going to be a little nervous when it's in your hand. So I bring guys to the range. I bring my other coaches. We bring them to the range. We have a subject that we want to talk about. I'll bring a, a person in business that wants to do something with me and we'll go to the range. So they have to go 20 minutes and go through a training course with the, um, you know, with the, with, with the range officer. And because I'm there, I, I can kind of, you know, shoot the shit and relax and kind of get everything ready. And I bring them in and say, Hey, this is what we're shooting today. What's what we're going through. I'm not doing lessons. I ain't teaching them. They all tell me that they're great shots, right? I don't really care. <laughs> Here's the reason why I don't really care. You put the target up. There's a bullseye on there. It's really, really simple. How quickly do you get a realization if you're good at something or not when you're shooting? Instant. Yeah. Right? I mean, you either hit it or you did it or you're yeah. off or you're not. It's not yeah. that hard. Right? So, but mind you, you better stick to the rules. That gun stays downrange. Yeah. Right? know where your stance are. You're not turning around with it. You're not talking to me while that's going on. You are in a completely different state. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, I'm going to put that down or the range officer is going to go ahead and say, Hey, you, you know, we need to stop. So this is kind of what's taking place for about 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about it, high intense environment, mm -hmm. high focused environment, yep. no dicking around. Right. Really quick self-awareness. I'm not as good as a shot that I thought I was. Yep. No matter how good of a shot I am, I'm not like that all the time, right? Yep. And then I'm going there to work on things sometimes. So, you know, I'm actually still working through some stuff. 
Um, when that session's over, I have a highly focused, very concentrated individual that said they wanted to do business with me or said they wanted to discuss a, con uh, uh, discuss a topic with me or wants to talk about training or talk about work. They've just been in a state of anxiety for basically an hour. Yeah. I got 15 minutes. What did you want to talk about again? All that crap's gone. Yeah. Give me your 15 minutes of the best stuff because me, I could go on forever, right? Yep. We can sit here and talk. We can shoot the shit. We can do that. But then what are we actually getting done? Yeah, right. So you if you actually doing? take your time and you spend an hour of talking, what are, what are the actual points that we needed to kind of take away? Mm -hmm. So I figured like, we're going to go do something that's going to put us in a better state for those 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, that is my version of the Abraham Lincoln story that if I had, you know, if I had, you know, uh, you know, 10 hours to to chop a tree down, I'm going to spend nine sharpening my ax, right? Yeah, that's my version of that, because that's what I'm doing with the person to create a better state and a better environment for <laughs> those discussions. Because no matter how good you are at shooting, no matter how often you've shot, no matter if you grew up with them, you still know. Matter of fact, the person that is the least anxious or the least like um, like understanding of what that gun could do is the one that actually has the least experience. Yeah, it's what the, person the, most. The, most, the most stressed out is the one that knows exactly what could happen. Yeah. Right. So they're the one that's pretty much always on. So if you think about their state while that's going on, is they're in a hyper-focused state. They're not like, oh, whatever. Like, no, 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 this is what happens. Their environment's prime for conversation to, to, to think and speak. So I like to do that. It's a little kind of um, tool that I've used to put people in different environments because it's immediately a, a, a reality check. It's a real good self-awareness environment. Mm -hmm. and, and it creates an attitude uh, adjustment that puts somebody into a state so that we can focus on the time that we have. I like that. That's good.